0: Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Our gospel lesson for this Sunday is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. And of course, that's when Jesus pretty much apparates into the room on on the Sunday that he has risen Sunday evening. And the disciples think he's a ghost and it really freaks them out. He has to tell them, peace be with you. Thomas is not there that day, and so John, as part of that lesson, mentions what happens later when Jesus appears to Thomas, and Thomas is allowed to put his hand in the holes in Jesus' hands and in his side, and then Jesus says those words, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So you would think... Thomas getting the scientific method, yep, you definitely rose, would be the more blessed one. But Jesus says, no, you 2,000 years ago, because God has given you faith to believe it, you're the more blessed. You have the stronger faith. Sadly, something happens in that lesson that often gets drowned out because of doubting Thomas. And we're gonna focus on that something today. That's recorded in John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whenever you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. Whenever you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Verse 23 is one of the proof passages for the doctrine of the keys. The keys is the binding and loosing of sin. It's the right proclamation of the law, which shows us we're damned, that we desperately need a Savior by showing us we're damned, and the gospel, the good news that we have a Savior whose blood washes us clean. And so today, our sermon theme will look at those keys as we discuss Christ has commissioned you with his keys, now, as I said, those disciples, as we find out from Luke, they're behind closed doors. They're afraid that something's gonna go on, that the Sanhedrin's gonna come after them when Jesus shows up in the room. And Luke tells us that, that he Christ says first to them, Peace be with you. And then our text begins after Jesus proves to them that he's not a ghost, that he's alive. Verse 21, so again, he said to them, peace be to you guys, just as the father has sent me. So I'm also sending you guys. Now, the word there is sending with a commission. Christ was sent with the commission to win your and my salvation. And so he's sending people out to announce that salvation has been won. That's using the keys, rightly distinguishing between law and gospel, showing people, as I've said, that they need a savior by damning their sins and showing them they have a savior by removing their sins. Now, they're gonna face a lot of persecution. They certainly didn't have peace until Jesus showed up in that room because they were afraid of the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin will persecute them. Christ isn't just saying, yo, man, I hope things go well for you. Peace, dude. Christ is actually giving them peace. Peace in knowing they can take your body, but they can't take your eternal life. They can torture you to death, but you'll be given a glorified body. Peace in knowing God is not your enemy. God is your heavenly father that loves you dearly. God is your brother who took on your human flesh. God is the Holy Spirit that lives in your heart. And they're gonna need that peace because shortly after Christ's resurrection, Peter and John are going to get beat by the Sanhedrin because they won't renounce the resurrection of the Lord. And they actually, with the peace Christ has bestowed on them, they actually rejoice that they were found worthy to receive a beating for retrusting in the Lord. They're going to need that when the Jewish people of the synagogues come after them as they spread the word throughout the world. They're going to need it when the pagans come after them because if their religion's true, then all their pagan gods and all the money they make, like a, uh, in Ephesus with Artemius, it's going to cost them big time. It's going to be financially hard on them. They're going to need it when the Judaizing Christians come along and say, "Oh, you're wrong. You have the law helps save you. You've got to do this." this, this, and this in order to be saved. They're going to need it when the Roman government comes after them. In fact, only one of the apostles is going to die of old age. That's John. And at age 90, he'll be exiled by the Roman government on the island of Patmos. And so that peace, they're gonna be able to look the devil in the eye, if you will, and 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 those who are working for him and they'll have peace knowing they have God backing them, that they are saved. So we see that Christ has empowered you by giving you peace. Because still today, we have brothers and sisters in Christ, and maybe you're one of them whose government is persecuting them because you're a Christian. Why would they do that? The God's honest truth is because they want power over you, and they want want power above God. It's that simple. But you have peace. Fanatics in Christianity, it's called the Inquisition, have persecuted Christians. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have a hard time believing a Christian can actually be a believer and take another Christian's life for what they believe. But that's for another sermon. And we have fanatics of other religions today that are still killing Christians. So you need to be empowered with the peace God gives you to use those keys. Now, if you live in America today, we're not at the point where you're thrown in jail for proclaiming the law. And if you're proclaiming a savior, then it has to mean we need to be saved. It has to mean we're sinners. But people can type something on on Twitter or Facebook or say something of comfort to a fellow employee and be fired. And so to use that binding key where we point out sins in America today where, that oh, that's politically incorrect. You've lost your job. You've got to have peace knowing God's going to take care of you and he sent you. You've got to have peace to show people their sins are forgiven as well. So Christ has commissioned you with the keys. He's empowered you, giving you peace. And it's not just peace. He gives us his word that helps us divide up those keys and the Holy Spirit, which transitions us right into our next verse and the next section of our sermon. Verse 22. And after saying this, he breathed onto them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Why did they get the Holy Spirit? Now, Jesus in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 actually defines faith and tells us how we get it. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. The Holy Spirit gives birth to a new man in you who's connected to Christ. And that new man, when you have him, you have faith. You trust that Jesus is your Savior. Your new man does that. Well, these people already trusted in Jesus. That's a confused faith, but they have faith. So he's not giving them the Holy Spirit to give birth to, a, to somebody who trusts in him. He's actually giving them the Holy Spirit to give them the gifts to use these keys. See, you have to have a boldness to speak up. You have to be in the word and you have to be able to rightly distinguish law, which condemns us. It always accuses us of our sins and the good news of salvation in Christ. The Holy Spirit is needed. He gives gifts. Some of us are better at explaining and preaching. Some of us are better at listening. Some of us are better at counseling and giving encouragement. He is giving these gifts, the Holy Spirit, to the church. Now, there are people that get confused and they will say, oh no, he was only given the keys to the apostle Peter or only to the apostles. But Luke really helps us with that. Luke, right before he describes this upper room encounter, he talks about how Jesus had appeared to the Emmaus disciples, even walks with them, and he explains them how the Old Testament's fulfilled in him, and then when he breaks the bread, they recognize him, and then he just disappears. So they beat feet back to Jerusalem. And that's where Luke chapter 24, verses 33 through 34 really help us. They, that's those Emmaus disciples, got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them assembled together. Did you catch that? It's not just the Emmaus disciples and the apostles. It's not just the Emmaus disciples and the apostles alone. It's also other believers assembled with them. So this rules out any idea that it's only given to the apostles. Christ gave it to everybody present. And he continues, they were saying, the Lord really has been raised. He's appeared to Simon. They themselves described what had happened along the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So we know this is that oh, there's more than just the apostles there in the upper room. And in fact, Luke is focusing on a different uh, uh, part of this story. We find out from John who really, John fills in details the other guys left out. We find out from John that Thomas was absent, but Luke says the 11 as an official title. Now, when when Jesus appears to Thomas, if he only meant this for the apostles, he would have had to breathe on Thomas as well, but he didn't. Now, we also get people today who want to claim that Christ gave this to a specific form of the ministry like the pastoral ministry. And if you think the apostles did the same thing that the modern day pastor did, there's a lot of overlap. They proclaim the word of God, but you're mistaken in those two offices. He gave this to the church. They were gifts to use the binding and loosing key. And to properly know when to use the law and when to use the gospel, how to apply them, you have to to be in that word, to properly understand God's law, to properly understand the Christian freedom because our sinful nature always, every day, wants to run back to the slavery of the devil. So he's equipped you with the Holy Spirit. He's given you specific gifts. And at times when he wants you to give a witness, the Holy Spirit gives you the words that he wants you to say so that you are using the binding or the loosing key depending on which is needed. And again, I've mentioned this, we're studying the word of God whenever we preach. Christ has not only given us peace and he's not only given us the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit works through the word. Christ is speaking to them then. So he's equipped you. He's given you the supernatural gifts you need because the Holy Spirit has been given to you and he has given you the, the, his word in which he empowers you and helps you grow in applying this. So we see Christ has commissioned you with the keys. He has empowered you and he has equipped you. Now, let's define the work that he's given to you. If you send off anyone's sins, then they're sent away from them. And if you tightly hold anyone's sins, then they've been held tight. I find it interesting that the Greek word that is recorded here is sending away. You and I tend to harbor petty grudges and stuff. When God says your sin is forgiven, boom, it's gone. He has sent it away. Couples get into arguments and, and they may forgive each other, but the next time they get into an argument, they may say, this is what you do. This is always the way you go. And but God doesn't say that. God says your sin is gone. The gates of heaven is wide open to you. And so the binding key is the proclamation of the law. You are stuck in a sin and you're embracing that sin. And when we bind a sin to somebody like the old ball and chain with, the, with criminals, now that sin is stuck to them. And with that sin stuck to them, they cannot enter heaven. The gates are locked shut to heaven. They're only going to hell. We do that in the hopes that they will repent. And as soon as they repent, then we tell them they have a savior immediately now you and I have been sent with the commission as messengers Christ it's his blood it's his life that actually does the removal of sin so Christ could read minds it's kind of interesting how Christ like with the Samaritan woman at the well exposes her sin and she knows he's got to be from God because uh, no human being would know that who had just met her but you and I can't read hearts So how can we know when to apply the law or when to apply the gospel, the forgiveness of sins? How do we know which key to use? You and I have to go by what we can externally see, and that's repentance. Is the person repentant for their sin? Now, usually if they say, I'm sorry, that's one of the very clear clues. And as soon as we see repentance, we don't sit there in a, in, a, in a petty grudge. Oh, you really hurt me and I came to you and I showed you your sin and you said, boy, I, I'm so sorry I mean to hurt your feelings, but I want you to stew on it for three days. No, we immediately use the loosing key. But we can't read hearts. And I've talked to you in the past in sermons where... I had a babysitter who was really good at making me say that I was sorry. And I learned real quick, this was a get out of jail free card. Fred, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sometimes people learn real quick that that's a get out of jail free card and they'll act repentant and they're not really repentant. Again, we can't read hearts. So if they say they're sorry, we use the loosing key. And I'm not talking about struggling with the sin. If they're not truly sorry, they're not gonna struggle with that sin. It's gonna come out and then you'll have the opportunity uh, as God, to glorify God and use that, that binding key instead. We have to be careful, as I've said, that it's not a vendetta, that it's not a punishment, that we are doing this. And, and it's such a wonderful blessing when we get to do it, when a person actually recognizes, oh, this rotten sin, I fell into it, what am I to do? The blood of Christ is upon you, your sin is gone. What a blessing that is. And that's really why we use the binding and loosing keys. Now, you, as I've mentioned, have been given the gifts to do this. And and that's the priesthood of all believers. But we have a representative or a public ministry where we call people to do this for the congregation. So for example, uh, Martin Luther had said, if everybody came forward to baptize a baby, everybody in the congregation, we would drown it as we poured the water on it. So you call somebody to do this for you publicly. The congregation does. And here in America, that's the pastoral office. Sometimes we call elders and things like that as well. And and so there's a big difference between what I say publicly where at the beginning of the service you make a general confession of your sins and I say as a called servant of the Lord and by his authority. Notice I'm not saying my authority. I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We're doing that publicly and whether it's done in public or private, it's so sad in America today when uh, the public need to bind a sin. That's especially seen in excommunication or the person takes off to another church that says, oh, we're a loving church. We love you so much. We don't care that your sin is dragging you to hell. Come on in instead of honoring that. But that's not your or my problem. That's on that congregation. So the public use is not to be a bully pulpit either in which pastor wants to get his way, wants the wants the red wants a red carpet instead of a blue carpet or a purple carpet, and so he starts binding people who oppose him. No, this is your right, and you call somebody in public things to do this officially as a representative of the congregation. And if they start abusing their power, we take that right away from them, right? So Christ has defined the work. The work it involves you being in the word, he's empowered you with the Holy Spirit, he's equipped you, he's empowered you with peace, so that while you're in the word, you start learning how to apply the law and how to apply the gospel. There are some people who really prefer that binding key, we call them legalists, and those brothers or sisters in Christ, we actually use the binding key on them and show them their lack of love in forgiveness, that they're too quick to use the one and too slow to use the other. Sometimes this is just experience in life. But it really is a privilege when you share the word of God with your neighbor, you're using the binding and loosing key. When you show them that they need a savior by showing them their sin, not in a pharisaical way, I'm better than you, but showing them that they need a savior, you're using the binding key. When you show them they have a savior whose blood has washed them clean, you're using the loosing key. And we get together as brothers and sisters in Christ and we can complain about our problems to each other. We can vent our frustrations. We can share what's troubling our conscience. I often say you see this most beautifully between a husband and wife when they come home from work, for example. Oh, honey, I screwed up at work today. Oh, what happened? Oh, I lost my patience with that one person who's slow to learn what we're doing. In the name of Christ, I forgive you. Thank you. I'd better go and be reconciled with them tomorrow as well. So you have been given a tremendous commission here and it's a wonderful blessing. We see Christ has commissioned you with his keys. He's empowered you with his peace. He's equipped you with the Holy Spirit and his word and sacraments. And he's defined the work. It's the law and the gospel. And when you get to use those, you are working as Christ's messenger as you yourself have received his blood and are forgiven. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of sheep in connection with his blood, which established the eternal testament, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will as he works in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.